Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Approximately 40 minutes long, and we're going to have a double dose of the legendary Nick Curto. He'll be starting off the program with Nick Curto presents the Disclosure Network, and his guest tonight is Mary Jo Fahey. And together, they'll be launching a show called Connecting the Dots in the very near future. And Nick will be closing tonight's program with the real news revealed when his guest will be Michael Winks. And now, without much further ado, let me introduce uh, your host for the two segments tonight, uh, the legendary and amazing Nick Curdo. Well, Hercules, thank you so much for your kind words. They are totally appreciated. And I just want to say uh, uh, back to you, you are the best producer anyone could possibly have in, in their camp. And I mean that you are uh, energetic you 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 really go after the uh, the programs and try to do the very best showcase and try to get as many people to listen to it as possible and it's just very very appreciated. Thank you very much, Nick. Your guest is here, uh, so I will give you the scepter of Zeus and uh, I'll be here listening. Just holler if you need me. Okay, we'll do. Thanks again. And uh, just for the listeners who don't know. Um, Nick Curdo presents the Disclosure Network. I'm Nick Curdo, co-founder and director of Disclosure Network New York. Now, that is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year here in Manhattan. Uh, We focus on cutting-edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, uh, as well as many other important and related subjects Uh, from a wide variety of sources as we go deep into these exciting and sometimes misunderstood subjects that the mainstream press will not disclose. Our members do intensive investigative research into these various topics, 
and share that information with our group at our meetings, as well as on our on the internet. And we have a couple of ways of of, of accessing that, which we'll tell you about. Uh, now, our motto right from day one is quote connecting the dots to seek truth unquote. Uh, we have available to everyone worldwide the DNNY News Blast email service focusing on the topics of special interest. And that is totally free to all. Uh, just visit our website. I'm going to give you that, www.dnny.info. And I'm going to repeat that, dnny.info, and type in your email address where it's asked for, and you will then be connected with us, and you'll be receiving these uh, various emails uh, weekly, sometimes daily. Uh, we have hundreds of people who sign on for this service and that more are joining every single day. Again, uh, it's offered by DNNY, and it's totally free. Now, our featured guest for this particular podcast tonight is a very, very good and dear friend and colleague, Mary Jo Fahey. Mary Jo, it's great to have you on board. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, I really have been looking forward, as you know, to uh, to talking with you uh, tonight. And um, I wanted to start things off a little bit with uh, some intro so that uh, the, the listeners will get to know you a little bit. Uh, Mary Jo worked uh, in the microcomputer business in Manhattan for 20 years, starting in 1980, about two years after the Apple II was introduced. Uh, she became a computer instructor and later wrote four computer books. In 2002, she became a medical writer, and we're going to go very much into that. But before we do that, I want to have a little bit of quick background that I think our listeners would, would very much enjoy. So if I may, Mary Jo, let me ask you right from the beginning, um, where were you born? I was born in New York City. Uh, my oh, parents okay. are actually from Buffalo, New York, but my father was in the Navy. He was ah. stationed at uh, St. Albans Naval Hospital in Queens, and my sister oh, and I were okay. both born there. Now, you have one sister, is that correct? No, I have two, two sisters and a brother. There's four of us. Oh, really? Oh, so you're from a bigger family. I didn't realize that. They're, right, there's okay. four. We're very close in age, and two of us were born in New York. But then, of course, my parents returned to Buffalo when my father, when his uh, time in the Navy was, was up. He he actually, the Navy paid for his medical, he was a, a medical doctor, and the Navy paid for his education, and so he then, you know, um, was a doctor in the Navy. I got you. All right. And um, just also briefly, uh, your schooling. Just tell us a little bit about that. I went uh, to college in Buffalo uh, to the State University. And then uh, I just I have a degree in business management and moved uh, to New York City in, in 1980, the same year that I started working in the microcomputer business. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's a lot of background there. And uh, let's get right into that now. Uh, tell us, uh, as a uh, medical writer, um, uh, tell us more about that. Well, the, the first point that I wanted to make uh, 
to help listeners understand how they can find some of the information that I've found is to talk about the uh, the National Library of Medicine's PubMed database. It's what I had to learn to use to find scientific studies, and it's uh, it's been connected to Google for about seven years, which makes it extremely accessible. And the, the reason I'm bringing it up, it sounds strange because it's you know it's um, a medical database, but the journals carry a lot of weight, and they have general interest articles, and the articles are not all about medicine. And what I'm going to do as I talk about uh, the mystery of, I'm going to talk about the mystery of the biblical flood, and I'm going to talk about some of the uh, mysteries in the Eastern Mediterranean that are real bizarre, like very strange. But mm-hmm. there are actually journal articles that your listeners can read themselves. In other words, I would like to give them uh, clues that they could just sort of piece together and see see what they think. Oh, that's wonderful. Excellent. So the, to, to just to start the subject, I, I'd like to mention that, for example, listeners who are interested in the Disclosure Project – are probably familiar with Zechariah Sitchin and his books. He uh, wrote a novel called The Lost Book of Anki. And that uh, book describes how the Anunnaki deliberately caused the flood. The Anki was a, a Syrian Orion reptilian and one-third of his genetics were Syrian. And I personally don't believe that uh, the Anunnaki had the technology to start the biblical flood. I believe that the Syrians were responsible. John Melchizedek, who wrote the ancient secret of the Flower of Life books, calls the Syrians a super-advanced race in his volume two. But we'll, I'll give you the, these pieces, and, and then your listeners can decide for themselves. Excellent. Now, to begin, I'd like to talk about Robert Ballard's work. He's a uh, an oceanographer who has worked with the Office of Naval Research, and ABC News and Science Magazine have covered his theory that the biblical flood was real. He uh, used a robotic submersible in the Black Sea and found evidence of an ancient shoreline as well as man-made structures. So Ballard's work is, again, it's it's something that the articles that that uh, you could find are you could just you know Google his name, but there's a science magazine um, piece that could be found if you simply. The key to getting into this um, PubMed database is to, for example, type biblical flood and then the letters NIH. When you put NIH after your search keywords, you'll be uh, 
that the URLs that will be returned on your screen will all have NIH, and that those are all PubMed uh, scientific articles. So the one that wow. comes up that you'll find, you'll see a title, a title that says Archaeology, a Victim of the Black Sea Flood Found. Now, science uh, requires a subscription, but the summary of the article, or what is called the abstract, will be on the screen when you click on that link. And it says that the that it describes a torrent equaling 200 Niagara Falls that cascaded from the Mediterranean into the Black Sea. So Whoa. the see what Ballard uh also found out is that the the Black Sea was once freshwater but now it has it is you know today it's it's salt water so the the idea is that this huge torrent just simply turned the black sea into to a salt a salt water body that's then incredible there's eric, then there's eric clemetti's work eric is a volcanology professor uh and he writes for wired magazine and he wrote an article titled How to Trigger a Volcanic Eruption on Purpose. Wow. And I know so you know if 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 your listeners just google that his the title that says How to Trigger a Volcanic Eruption on Purpose, they'll find his article and they'll probably want to read it cuz it's very very interesting. He says that the best place to trigger a volcano on purpose is the Greek on the Greek island of Santorini. Oh, and I reason, if Hercules is listening to this. I'm sure he is. And the reason he says is because if you have the addition of outside water, the volcanic eruption will become what he says. He, he uses the word sustainable. And he said, if you know the correct uh, ratio of water to magma. It, you'll, the, the, the eruption will just keep going until you run out of water or magma. Now, his article does not mention the tectonic plates of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, vol- volcanoes erupt, or they can erupt, where the tectonic plates meet. Yeah, and there yes. is a there is a website that offers. An introduction to the Earth's tectonic plates, plates, and with maps that shows that the Eurasian and the African tectonic plates meet right near Santorini. Oh, brother! Okay. Now, what we're talking about is the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, which is also the location of some inexplicably advanced technology at archaeological sites. Now, I I think that the, one of the most bizarre archaeological sites in that part of the world is on the island of Crete because there's a palace, an ancient palace that was discovered by an archaeologist named Sir Arthur Evans 
that has advanced plumbing that was a thousand years old when King Tut was put into his tomb in 1325 BC. That's incredible. It's it's, but here's the thing: that plumbing. Uh, first of all, Evans. I want to say Evans spent most of his career on Crete. He died at the age of ninety in 1941, and he wrote a two-volume book all about this palace that unfortunately is out of print. However. Uh. There's an article in that PubMed database that was published in 1932. It's a July issue of the Journal of the Canadian Medical Association. And the doctor who wrote the article wrote about Evans' work and this palace in Crete and how advanced the plumbing was. And and there's a detailed description of what's in that palace in this man's article. And his name is W.J. Corrigan, and he was a medical doctor in Toronto. He said the palace has bedrooms with private bathrooms. It has toilets that are similar to ours. It has beautifully designed terracotta water pipes with collars and stop ridges. He says that he feels are superior to ours because they're tapered and it causes the water to have like a shooting action to prevent sediment from forming. He also describes giant uh, stone sewers with drain heads. That's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I've never heard anything like this ever anywhere. Isn't that strange? Yes, it is. Now, here's another strange one. There's also advanced plumbing on another Greek guy. Well, on Santorini. I've already mentioned Santorini. And the archaeological site on Santorini is called Akrotiri, A-K-R-O-T-R-I-R-I. And Akrotiri has been on the History Channel. It's and the plumbing was citywide, and it was a system that connected two-story buildings. Oh. Now, Akrotiri was destroyed in a volcanic eruption, and they, the, the people who have excavated the site, are perplexed because mysteriously. No bodies and no valuables have been found. That is such a mystery. That is incredible. And you wonder whatever it happened. It's, it's odd, and, and also because of this, again, this advanced plumbing. Wow. Now, the, wow. uh, so the, the questions that come up are things like, well, Queen Victoria didn't have advanced plumbing. London (laughs) didn't even have a sewer system until the mid-19th century. You know, that is a surprise to me. I would never have guessed that in a million years. And these archaeological sites are 
are ancient. Mm-hmm. Now, the biblical flood and, and, and Sitchin's book, now it's a novel, of course, but he said, it, but in, in that in his book, the Anunnaki deliberately caused the flood. Now, is this is it real? It did they did they try to obviously kill people with this, you know, global flood? And now, in the in the, in the novel, the Anunnaki are told in advance that there's going to be a flood and they're ordered off the surface of earth or they can they're given the choice they can also go to earth's highest elevations could be could have been the the alps or the himalayas but the the thing is is that the um you know if there 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 appear to be advanced centers on our planet that simply disappeared. For example, there's also advanced plumbing in Pakistan at an archaeological site called Mohenjo Daro. It's a it's well, an odd that, that, that's leads to a lot of questions. Um, or just a quick one too. Um, the Alps and the Himalayas. Uh, how far was that from where they were? when all this information was given to them? Was it a huge uh, uh, amount of, of distance between where they were and the Alps and the Himalayas? You mean the, I'm just, I know I get, it was my guess that if the, if, if this story is true, what Sitch, Sitchin was a linguist who translated the cuneiform tablets that were found in Iraq. There's about, I don't know, thirty or forty thousand of these cuneiform tablets that were that, that many. Oh, I had no idea there was that many. Wow, Sumer- I never knew that. Sumerian uh, cuneiform, and at Sitchin was the the number of people on in, on the entire planet who could actually translate cuneiform was so tiny. I mean, relative to the whole population of the planet, there were only about two hundred people on earth who could do any translation at all. So he he wrote this novel and then said that, you know, the Anunnaki deliberately caused the flood. But the you know, it was just my guess that if if the story is true, that that mm-hmm. you know, where they could flee, the, the the Alps or the Himalayas. You can get up into the upper like in Switzerland for example, there's you can live up in the Alps. There's actually small in, in the Swiss Alps. There's like small villages that are yes. quite well known that are way way above sea level. You know that that perhaps you know we're 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 okay during this horrendous um, you know biblical flood. It would be now, the only place to to survive, absolutely. And it's also, by the way, such a gorgeous area of this planet. That area is amazing. It is. It is. It's it's lovely. There are um, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, just uh, valleys where there's beautiful uh, places where you know, very remote, just absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. I, wa- I also wanted to mention, this is another odd one. <laughs> uh, 
again tied into this PubMed database where you know, you know your listeners can look up this stuff themselves. There's other examples of advanced technology in that part of the world. For example, there's an article in the uh, in this database about synthetic basalt that was produced in Mesopotamia that required a a, a high temperature of 1,200 degrees centigrade, which is 2,192 2, degrees Fahrenheit. So Mesopotamians or Mesopotamia uh, apparently again this see the, the reason I wanted to mention that these are archived in our National Library of Medicine is because those journals are considered to be um, prestigious. I mean they carry a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. They're what are called peer reviewed, which means. The editor doesn't decide what gets published in those journals. Peer review means that the papers or the articles are sent to the person, the author's peers, and they decide. Oh. You know, they give they give the article uh, the green light, not the editor. So as a result, the you know the fact that they're published in these journals is a big is a big deal. So here sure. we've got oh a. This article about synthetic basalt that was made that was made in Mesopotamia at temperatures that you know the stories that we've been told are kind of weird. I mean, we don't have any of this information. No, There's I've never heard th- any of this. Nothing. And you know what? The history books are going to have to be rewritten. They unfortunately they what do. You're saying, right. I mean, this is this is major new to us. Major news major data and it changes the whole landscape of what we thought we knew yeah it does and how in the world would you achieve that that, uh 1200 degrees centigrade how in the world would you do that i know i mean well it has to be an advanced a very advanced group group that that could 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 do that here's another one in 2009 a japanese archaeologist his name is Hideo Akanuma. He announced that he'd found a carbon steel knife at an archaeological site in southeast Turkey. Now, steel production starts with the melting of iron that requires 1,535 degrees centigrade. And that works out to be 27. 195 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. That's even that's an even higher temperature. Now Hideo's yes. paper is not in the data PubMed database, but it was published by a Japanese archaeological organization. But your listeners can find his paper if they Google his last name, which is Akanuma, A-K-A-N-U-M-A, Iron and Copper Production, will bring up his paper. Now, here's another strange one. I looked at his paper, and it says that the at this in this area, this archaeological site, they also found artificial iron. Oh. Way back I just when, like that way back was. before, yeah, 
I didn't get that really totally. I so I started to Google synthetic metal. Okay. Well, synthetic metal is so advanced that the the, the 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 topics that come up when you Google there's there's such a thing as a synthetic metal conference. There's a synthetic metal journal, but the subjects that are published or the articles that are published in this particular under this particular topic are things that deal with technology that today is considered very, very advanced, like nanotechnology, things like that. So here he found artificial iron. He's a metallurgist as well. He's he's both an archaeologist and a a person who specializes in metal. And so it's... It's odd. I've re- actually read about four or five papers written by uh, Japanese archaeologists who have specialized in the sites in that part of the world. And when you read their papers, you get to the end, and they basically, at the end of the paper, they basically conclude that it's just a mystery. That there is this it's just a mystery because they don't know if they haven't got a clue as to how it really happened, but they have right. the proof that it did. Oh, right. Wow. Right. Wow. So here we've we've got this physical evidence. We've got these prestigious, you know, scientific journals. But when you read it, it, it like in my experience, when you read this, you think, how could this be true? How could this be possible? Right. Especially in the the, the uh, periodicals that you're talking about, where that is uh, validated by so many people on in the field. So this right. is not lightly put into these journals. This is this is researched, and a lot of people have to sign off that this should be in the journal. So th- that again gives it a lot of credibility. Yes, a lot of weight. Yeah. And this now, is not from a uh, magazine that is uh, just for entertainment. This is serious science, a serious yes, investigation. About as, ser- as serious as you can get, really. Yeah. Because when you say when you're when you say peer-reviewed journal, that pretty much is a if you're trying to defend something and you say that it's in a peer-reviewed gen- journal, that's pretty much a conversation stopper right there. Because it carries game, so much weight. Game, yeah, and game game is one when you say that, of course, because yeah. oh, you can't get better than that. Right. Wow. You know, I love I love this this subject matter, as you know. I love the subject matter. It's like potato chips. Once you start, and I'm sure you're the same way. You just zoom <laughs> through this information and then go on to the next and that feeds you into something else and before you know it you're changing everything you knew from school about what what they thought was was going on and there's a whole new whole new chapters opening up of what really was going down at the time mhm uh, it's, 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 it's oh boy i love this so much uh, mary jo i want to ask you um what what thoughts do you have uh, to leave with our listeners, what what kinds of, uh, of uh, I would say, um, uh, nuggets of information that you'd like to leave with our listeners uh, about this subject matter, especially? Well, it's you know, I it's it's, it's funny you ask that because when I was putting this together, I thought, 
you know, is this, am I delivering, you know, is it is it scary? Is it bad news? Is there anything, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? It's it's some, as you said, it's just a, a, almost a requirement that we, we relearn everything. You know, as we go on in life, isn't that the truth, that you really have to kind of put it aside, that you what you've learned from your uh, teachers and from your professors and all that, put it aside and open yourself up to some new thinking and do some more research, because the truth is going to lie there. And the, the new research is, like you just demonstrated at this podcast, it's out there, and people are discovering uh, little by little, uh, whole new chapters that no one ever knew about, and that's going to change the narrative totally. Uh, we have to rethink it. We have to rethink what we thought we knew and say, no, that wasn't it. That was a guess, perhaps, some some research, but other research is coming up that's new and proven that there's more to it, a lot more to the story. Well, it's like, it's almost like you, you Personally, for me, I think of, you know, do I believe this? Well, at, at a certain point, if you line up piece after piece after piece of of information, and it all looks like it's trending toward an idea or or you know a truth, as you as you've said, then there's. Maybe it's a I don't know the the expression tipping point for people. You have to have, you can't just yeah, have one yeah. piece, but if if you get several, there comes a point where you say, well, yeah, this does look like it's true. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, that's that's opening up the door to new thinking, uh, re-examining what we thought we knew and the facts we thought we knew, and going deeper into the subject and. No, no, in some cases people, and you're right, Mary Jo, they won't do that because they don't want to, uh, how shall I say this, have to rethink things. Right. It's work. It's work to do this, too. I mean, it's wonderful work. It's fun. I mean, I get a kick out of this, so do you, and I'm sure there's many listeners out there also that feel the same way, that this is exciting stuff. But there are people who are very content to just believe the uh, mainstream narrative about things and never question. And right. that's a shame. That's, I think that's a shame because they're cheating themselves and, you know, the others around them uh, from from the real truth of what's going on. And mm-hmm. uh, it's fascinating. Uh, uh, the best science fiction books can't top some of this new research, right? I agree. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. and you're right. It, it, I'm the type of person that I want to know the truth. I want to know what the the real story. I I don't want to you know feel like I've been deluded or you know kept in the dark at ever. You know, I think what you just said is the uh, the underline of that is is we really have to open the door to to new thinking. And, uh, and that goes for every single subject matter that there is. You can't just say, well, the mainstream uh, media has said it, so it must be true. That, that We know that's, that's crazy, that you can't do that. And what you said about 
going through different resources and seeing if there's alignments, and if there is enough of them, then the chances are that the new information is, is nailing it on the head. It's, it's, it's happening, and it's correct. And that's very exciting. And, of course, it also then opens up other doors. Once you start doing that and coming up with new facts and then conclusions, then you're opening up other doors to other areas. And, again, that's so exciting. I love this stuff. Oh, yes. And I'm really looking forward to when you guys start your new uh, show. Um, and uh, the stuff that you were talking about, uh, Mary Jo, I lecture on the, this uh, topic. Uh, there's oh, more. Really? They used to have, oh, yes. They used to have uh, um, hot beverages that you could put coins into a dispenser and it would pour you a hot uh, beverage. Uh, they had automatic doors. Uh, in the temples, they had animated uh, statues. Um, and there's, of course, the anti-terror device which is more sophisticated than a modern Swiss uh, watch that uh, um, basically tracked the stars and also the zodiac signs and gave you all sorts of uh, uh, information. So the ancients had a lot of technology, uh, and in the myths are described robots, too, giant robots, human-sized robots. There's, there's all sorts of stuff, and uh, I look forward to exploring it with you guys. Um, unfortunately, we've run out of time for the segment. So if you guys can share your contact information, I, I greatly appreciate it. Okay, fine. Uh, Mary Jo, why don't you go ahead? Oh, well, my email is Mary Jo, it's just J-O, Fahey, F-A-H-E-Y, at tds.net. T is in Tom, D is in Daniel, S is in Sam, dot net. Excellent. I would love to hear Excellent. from the listeners. That would be that would be just terrific. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, now, my email is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the figure one, in other words, the number one, it's just a figure one, at gmail.com. So repeating it, Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. And certainly I would love to get any comments, ideas from the listeners uh, out there uh, always welcome uh, to email me uh, your thoughts. I, I certainly would appreciate that. Uh, so this has come to the end, it looks like, uh, of, of the uh, – how much time do we have Hercules left? A minute or two? Um, yeah, around, yes. About uh, Okay. Well, Mary Jo, I just want to tell you how much uh, I, I certainly uh, enjoyed uh, the amazing facts that you've delivered uh, so well tonight. Uh, oh, thank just, you, Nick, and thank you for inviting me. This has been fun. I love. This is really, really great. Oh boy, and there's more to co- a lot more to come. And with you co-hosting the new program with me, uh, to me that is just the best. And I can't wait to start that. And um, it's going to be so exciting. You're the first time. This is the first time I've done, had a co-host. Uh, for a podcast, and I'm so oh, looking I, forward. Oh, I look forward to that. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, it's going to look great in your resume, Mary Jo. <laughs> it's going to look terrific too when you start because this is a, a, another another branch of your outreach, and uh, and you've done so many so much research, and it will be a great way to to provide the listeners with with some of your amazing and, and detailed research on a lot of these subjects, uh, including, of course, 
So that's going to be awesome. Uh, much love to you, Mary Jo, always. Uh, this is Nick Curdo for Disclosure Network New York, wishing you all an enlightened journey as you connect the dots to seek the truth. Till next time, keep informed, stay safe, and be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, we're Goodbye. going to listen to a quick song. Goodbye. I'm looking forward to your starting. Welcome to our family of uh, broadcasters. Thank um, you. And we're going to listen to Super Young and by Dave the Bard, and then we'll be back with Hercules and the Space Gods. One breath.
That was Dave the Bard's Land of the Ever Young, which is another word for paradise. Uh, Our next guests on this new installment of Hercules and the Space Gods are old friends, Michael and Diane Duncan. In antiquity, the ancients, when they interacted with each other, would seek out local tales of their gods and uh, discover which gods were hidden behind the new cultural masks. And they used this comparison to initiate conversation and to get to know the people that they were encountering. And this was a universal practice. And esoteric schools also were able to veer through and gaze past the cultural anecdotes that are told about celestial beings and recognize the celestial beings uh, behind uh, these masks and tale as well. Well, the gods are still with us and the gods still care about us. And uh, they have been communicating with a couple in California who were theosophists, uh, Rosicrucians, Urantia book readers, Taoists. Uh, and they followed many other amazing paths. And now they're here with us tonight. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about their spiritual adventures and mission. Greetings and welcome, Michael and Diane. Oh, thank you, Hercules. Uh, this is Diane. And uh, again, I'm afraid Michael wasn't able to get in <laughs> his job here at the holidays, but I'm sure that'll be over in just a week or so. So, so but I'm here, and I'm delighted to be here, and I want to talk about uh, Poseidon and Diana. Awesome. <laughs> so, how did Poseidon and Diana first uh, come uh, to you? How did you first come to know them? Well, Della, Della was the name that Diana gave us first. Uh, We knew her personal name is Della. Now, I don't know why on earth that um, these celestials would give us a modern name for each of them, almost all of them, not all of them, but they do. And at first, we, we knew her as Della. We did not know that she was a goddess. We did not know that she was Diana. Uh, daughter of Zeus and Leto. I mean, we didn't know anything about it. We, we just would uh, would see her, talk to her, uh, with all the other angels. And it took a long time, Hercules, before we really learned who they were. You're talking about masks. Um, it has been a long time to remove the mask on some of these celestials, and we're just yes. starting to do it even now. Um, now, Diana, uh, Artemis. Uh, we had a meeting that was arranged by Della, we'll say, uh, Diana, and Corinth was her uh, companion that she had with her, and we now know that Corinth was Hestia, sister of mm-hmm. Zeus. Uh, yes. At first, um, the, the two young ladies were beautiful little angels, uh, Della uh, Artemis, I'll stop calling them Della and Corinth so your readers can, and <laughs> listeners can understand, um, Diana uh, came to us as a blonde with big green eyes, very, very fair, very, very terribly, terribly sweet. And she first arrived in yellow, a yellow gown. Uh, Her hair looked, I only saw her, I have to be honest with you, I don't always see these uh, celestials all the time. You know, even during a meeting, I only saw her for some glimpses, but that's enough 
so that I can do a drawing afterward and that I can tell people an idea of what she looked like. Mm-hmm. So Della had crimped hair. Now, I don't know what on earth that would be today. I don't know how to even describe it. It was long, shoulder length, really a little longer than shoulder length, and all pulled back, going all back on her forehead, but it was crimped all the way down, uh, like it was maybe taken a like a hot iron like they did uh, in the 17th century with women. They would crimp the hair. It was crimped. So that was, I think, an unusual uh, thing that I might mention about her. She was unusually sweet, and all these celestials are sweet, but Diana seems to be the purest and the sweetest I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I can't really say a whole lot because... Um, she came to us as uh, not as a goddess of the forest or the wilderness or anything like that. She and Corinth or Hestia came to us as celestial musicians. Mm. And they they organized a meeting for us. And in this meeting, we had about 25 celestials all together. And so we had it up in our great room upstairs and they kept telling us to bring in chairs, and we just, you know, we this this is not a great room like in some expensive home. This is just a, a large bedroom, <laughs> but we call it wow. a great room because it's the biggest bedroom in the house. But we were able to get uh, 25 chairs up there, <laughs> so um, uh, that's that's our great room, and. We had so many celestials there, but I have to tell you, at this time, we didn't know who they were. And so this was one of our first meetings with a lot of the celestials. They came in as celestial musicians, singers and musicians. Della is a singer. She considers herself a singer. Now, see, again, we did not know she was Diana goddess of the hunt and all this and of the Mm -hmm. Amazons and protecting all these people. We did not know for a long, long time. I think it was probably, um, oh, golly, uh, it might have even been almost a year before we did, because I think this was in 2017, and I don't think it was till 2018 that we finally found out who these celestials were. I know one was called Aaron. He he used to come to us as Aaron, and we found out he was Apollo. Now, mm-hmm. that would have been uh, Diana's brother, if you read the books. Yeah, uh, Diana and uh, Apollo, but he came to us as Aaron. And uh, just to give you an example, that we did not know anything really about these celestials for a, probably a good year, I would I would imagine. But they came coming. Uh, they came to us coming as uh, musicians, and we asked them, "Well, why why are you here? You know, in this particular." Uh, arrangement because we'd never had these two young ladies um, gather and organize a meeting before. Usually, before this, we were having meetings with the local universe, father and mother, or who we mm-hmm. call Zeus and Hera. But this was very different. And they said, "Well, you are musicians and singers, and so are we." And they said, "We sing. We sing in heaven. We sing for religious services. We sing in choirs." Um, Aaron, uh, he not only is a singer, but he also plays the organ. 
He is a musician, uh, kind of like Saint Germain. Uh, th- these are these were people now. Corinth, uh, Hestia, she plays the violin. Mm-hmm. So, and she is also a singer. So, this is how um, that Diana first came to us. Um, now, of course, if you read about her, uh, you read some startling things. I mean, she is so sweet. And uh, I had read that she actually might have been involved in some stories in the ancient world uh, of, uh, you know, human sacrifice and this kind of thing. So I thought that I would ask her herself. And she said, no, she has never been involved in human sacrifice. In fact, um, Diana says that she is not only the protectress of animals, but of human children and adults, too. She, um, she never would believe in sacrificing animals or uh, human beings. So, you know, sometimes I wonder uh, about some of the stories because these celestials sometimes refute some of these stories. And I don't know if that's because... Um, I know one time you said, well, maybe you're talking to the higher... Uh, part, you know, like of Venus, Aphrodite, Astarte, so forth, and that, uh, you know, the more uh, human uh, traits uh, are of a lower uh, deity or something. I don't know. That, another, that's, how uh, some, that's how the ancients understood it. So like, for instance, uh, the gods were like a spectrum. I see. So with Aphrodite, for instance, Aphrodite, um, the, the lower um, aspects of that spectrum were involved in our... Um, you know, our lovemaking and uh, our mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. more earthy relationships, then the higher aspects were Aphrodite Urania, or the heavenly Aphrodite. Uh, yes. And yes. So they, they, they understood this, that uh, the gods exist on many different levels, including our own. So mm-hmm. uh, the interactions would depend on which level of the gods you were, you know, interacting with. Well, it must be so, because um, she looks like the most pure um, being that I've ever seen, and all these celestials are pure, believe me, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, she says no, she has never uh, never wanted to participate in anything like that. And, um, you know, we had been told that she and Matreya were uh, working to make uh, something happen in 30 years that maybe uh, killing an animal might be against the law, actually, actually against the law within 30 years. And Mm -hmm. Diana says that 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 is her project, um, uh, along with participating in the worship services with with Ceres and Demeter, you know, um, in heaven. And she has been participating in these services um, strictly and almost predominantly for the last four years. But she has, what is interesting about Diana, though, she doesn't talk very much with us, not very much. But she does attend most of the meetings. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. She's usually very quiet. And so I don't have a whole lot uh, to say except that her appearance um, very, very sweet, much a little more youthful than uh, than most looking more pure um, again, this uh, um, hair that was crinkled all the way down uh, past her shoulders, uh, giving a different look than i 've ever seen of any celestial 
um, and the fact that she is a singer, which is delightful. So uh, what do you think about Diana? I mean, what, what uh, uh, you know, I would like to know, because I haven't had too much involvement with her. Well, in my experience, uh, she is uh, primarily the uh, um, protectress of the wild uh, places in uh, mm-hmm. nature, mm-hmm. and also of uh, children and uh, young mothers and yes. young women. Yes. So those are all areas where you know she is a protective uh, presence. Now, uh, I don't, uh, uh, you know, personally. Um, experience the part of her that you're saying that is anti um, um, hunting or you know that um, type of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't get any pro hunting vibes uh, either. But uh, that hasn't really uh, come up. I know that there's concern about the plight of animals uh, now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the yeah. champions of Arcadia, which is. Uh, um, something that we've uh, formed to recognize people who are uh, champions of the green and of uh, uh, the natural uh, kingdoms. Uh, we're including people who are doing all they can to protect uh, animals. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my interactions with her and in my current work for her, um, th- those things are coming up, the protective aspects towards uh, you know, nature uh, and towards uh, uh, young and young and undeveloped uh, uh, consciousness and uh, people, yeah. uh, mostly women, who are uh, defenseless against uh, you know various types of assaults. So uh, this is my particular experience, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I am like everyone else, you know, always open to learning more about these uh, mm-hmm. uh, celestial intelligences that are very much a part of our journey here. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in uh, Pennsylvania oh, and I was uh-huh. involved in the human services and also in education, uh, Apollo and his sister appeared in those guises because I was very I much involved with uh, uh, education. I was very much uh-huh. involved with uh, uh-huh. um, a welfare-to-work program for uh, moms who uh, were on public assistance and needed to mm-hmm. uh, pick up skills so they could become uh, more self-sufficient and support oh. their uh, children. So, uh-huh. so Artemis or Diana was very much a part of that, and uh, mm-hmm. Apollo was very much a part of the educational aspect of it, and they're known for those yeah. things in antiquity as well. Uh, uh-huh. Apollo is definitely a famed musician since early times. Yes. He used to play the, the lyre or the harp. Yes. Uh, and uh, was uh, very well known for that. Yes, yes. Um, I might mention, too, um, that um, uh, I, I can see what you're saying about her protecting the, the youth because, uh, again, there was the mention of protecting children. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then her work with Materia could uh, be influencing uh, her in that way to protect the animals, you know. Uh, because today it's different, you know. We're we're not in ancient times where there was more hunting. I mean, we just right. go to the grocery store, you know. <laughs> so there there might not be that much of her uh, involvement in the kind of things maybe she did thousands of years ago, you know. 
but here on our planet anyway, because she's telling me that her work now is not too much on the earth anymore, that we're kind of past a lot of that. We don't have Amazons in the roaming the forest anymore <laughs> and things like that. Uh, her um, priority is the, the music and in the choirs and worshiping the Father in, um, in paradise. So, uh, but but uh, you know, but she inter is interested in perhaps making this uh, law with Madrea on against uh, killing animals in about thirty years. Uh, I know that the uh, gods, even in ancient times, they had different jobs, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, uh, human society and beyond it, and uh, yeah. they were very complex. Uh, a lot of mm -hmm. people, when they're looking at mythology, tend to simplify. Uh, that Hera was the goddess of marriage, that Zeus was the uh, uh, mm -hmm. marriage of uh, the uh, god of thunder and lightning, that uh, mm -hmm. Diana was the goddess of the harm. But they mm -hmm. were like us, except much yeah. more complex than we are, uh, and uh, much uh, vaster in their consciousness than we are. Uh, so they do a lot of things, just like we do a lot of things, and uh, they're That's involved right. with a lot of things, just like. Uh, we and our mortality are involved with a lot of things. So uh, the gods are more <laughs> than we are. So uh, yeah, uh, they yeah. only restrict themselves to a very mm -hmm. narrow band of activity. Mm -hmm. Well, so maybe her activities have, um, uh, you know, somewhat changed because our civilization has changed, you know? Yes, yeah, um, most certainly um, so. Yes. Now, uh, on Poseidon, I do have more... Uh, information about him uh, because we have had so many meetings w with Poseidon. And I did want to mention first that he does like the name Neptune. You know, I okay. was calling him Poseidon all the time, but his personal preference is for Neptune. And so I just thought I would mention it to you. I'll, I'll interchange the name so people can know what I'm talking about, but... Uh, he does like Neptune. Uh, one thing, too, um, I don't know if we have any readers of the Rancher book, but Michael and I are very um, firm on, on that book. We love it so dearly, and uh, I found it back in 1985, but I have uh, earlier ties with the book than ever that could be mm -hmm. possible. So uh, I did want to mention to anyone who might be that Poseidon is Emmanuel. That is his name in the Rancher book. Um, it's very interesting because uh, Emmanuel is the elder brother of the local universe father, who in Greek mythology we would call Zeus. And, of course, Emmanuel is the elder brother. Now, um, the elder brother of Zeus, of course, is Poseidon or Neptune. So mm -hmm. uh, the thing that I have found is that I believe, now I'm, I, I am saying this as a personal belief, but I believe that the author of the Arantia book used, and maybe only partly or partially, but I do believe that they used the Greek pantheon, the, the Greek gods, as their model for the gods of the Arantia book. 
there are so many things that uh, have led me to that belief. Not just that uh, Poseidon, I believe, is Emmanuel, but it's like in the Rancho book, they, they talk about the sacred marriage of uh, Zeus and Hera. Mm-hmm. And in the Arantia book, they talk about the sacred marriage of the local universe father and mother. And in the Greek, um, we have Tethys, who is the um, one who brings up Hera in the Greek mythology. And some of the other goddesses, like Aphrodite and Iris, are also brought up by Tethys, who is married to Oceanus, her consort. And then if you look at the Arantia book, you find that um, the infinite mother brings up the local universe mother and also brings up a lot of the other goddesses, too. And we have found out the infinite mother, whom she came to us as dearest celestial, her name, the wife of Oceanus and daughter of Uranus and Gaia, she is called the infinite spirit in the Arantia book. And she uh, is the one, the infinite spirit, the infinite uh, mother. She's the one who really uh, began our adventure with life Mm -hmm. together, Michael and I. Because in 1985, when I found the Arantia book, it was the infinite mother who brought um, Michael into my home in a spiritual way in meditations And then in 1991, on May the 8th, we met in real life. And our journey together with the Arantia book continued and with searching out truth. So the Infinite Mother has been very, very um, important in our life because she brought us together. She's the one who organized this. And I found out that she is one who organizes a lot of programs like this on the earth with people bringing Mm -hmm. together people, um, organizing plans to uh, bring about projects. Um, And she was called Tethys in the Greek. But uh, Mm -hmm. again, in the Arantia book, she's called the Infinite Mother. So she's been very important in our life. Now, Poseidon, I want to tell you, um, is called Emmanuel in the Arantia book, but he's Emmanuel of Salvington. Now, he's also called a union of days, which is a representative of Trinity to the okay. local universes. In other words, the Trinity in heaven, in paradise, mm-hmm. uh, he represents them to the local universes and to the authorities who rule them. And sometimes he's a representative for the universal father and mother. Now, again, we have to go back and say, who is the universal father and mother? And, of course, that's Uranus and Gaia in the Greek mythology. Right. So um, Neptune is a very important person. Um, We have had three very important meetings with him just recently. Um. I don't want to go on too much because I want to hear what you have to say about him, but I'll just be quickly here. Um, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I think that uh, uh, people get ample opportunity to hear what I think. Uh, uh, this is a focus on uh, your experiences so that they can enrich uh, what we know and expand on our knowledge. 
Oh, well, that's so kind of you, but um, I'll, I'll be kind of quick here. Uh, on October okay. 20th, 2019, we had a, a meeting. Actually, it was Matreya's 29th message, but Neptune, Neptune spoke. Uh, he has spoken in almost uh, all of the recent uh, messages, and not all, but almost. For some reason, he has really put himself up front with our family, with Michael and I, and also Alex, our son. He has also given him personal uh, information and personal messages, too. Um, Right now, on October 20th, he was giving his concern about the emotional bodies of the people on the earth right now. Now, I've been told by him that he's not only the god of the sea or of the oceans or rivers, but he is also the god of water, but also Mm -hmm. the god of things that are fluid, and that includes human beings' emotional bodies. And this meeting that we had with him, at first we were very confused because at first we didn't realize what he was talking about. Uh, And we finally figured it out. It's our emotional bodies. (laughs) He's talking about a part of us and... At first, we didn't know what he meant, but we finally got it. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. so that was um, his first message was that people need to be more careful with their freedoms and use them in more disciplined ways. Uh, the emotional bodies, he feels, are getting out of control with some people at this time because they have so much freedom. And he mm-hmm. says, use your freedom carefully and wisely says your decisions can affect your eternal future. Um, he says, guard your freedom. Aim for the light. Use your freedom wisely. Personally, be even more careful with your freedom. Be discreet. Uh, so he was really uh, going on with that, that a lot of people maybe uh, think that they can do anything they want, but uh, he's saying, not really. There are the gods still in control. Uh, And then he was also saying that um, um, he is going to give us more light. That every Hmm. day, every day, uh, he is going to bring a little more light to the planet. And that will bring a little more light to the individual body. Now, I, at first, we didn't quite understand that either, but... Um, you know, I remember many times, I know one time, I think I told you about this, one time I was going to college and I saw a young man getting out of a Volkswagen and he had such a bright light around him, Hercules, that it just almost shocked me. And wow. I was quite a ways away from him. But it was it was not going out like in rays, no. It was It was contained within... A structure that looked like his self to some degree around him. And, but it was huge and it was so bright. And I, I almost, if I hadn't have been so far away, because you have to park, park far away in some of these colleges to get in, you know, <laughs> the parking place. But uh, I would have tried to have followed him to find out who he was and why on earth all this light was around him. It was, It was really... Um, amazing. So his message on December the 1st of 2019, he said he will be starting to give more light to our world, a tiny bit of light filtering through every day, 
bringing more truth and clarity, and our auras will be stronger, and people will have more light so that eventually we will be able to see people's auras more because the light will be stronger. That's awesome. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I do remember another time, although I do sometimes see them, but another time, my, my husband and my son were playing tennis, and it was amazing because I was on the other side, and they were on the opposite side of me. And I could see above them, about 20 or 30 feet above them, I could see their auras, and it looked just like them above them, up in the, you'd say the sky almost, 20 or 30 feet, playing, and everything was just doing everything that they were doing. But I could see it, and it was so strong. So... If Neptune does this, it will be a great gift because everyone will have a brighter aura, the earth will have more light, and the truth will come out and everything will be more clear. And so that is the day that that we will hope for. Uh, Just one more, and then I'll I'll, um, be through here with that. On November 12th, which was my birthday, Neptune came for a special message for me since it was my birthday, and I really appreciate it. That's beautiful. Yes. Um, You know, I have a great big picture that I've done of him, really big, and I keep it up in the great room. And I look at him every morning and every afternoon and every evening. But uh, he came for my birthday. Um, His message was, he said, let me be your counselor. He says, I want to be counseling the people of the earth. He says that he says, as I am your example, you be an example for others. And he wants us to read verses in the Bible that talk about Paul. Because he says that he, and this is Neptune, is the example of Paul in the Bible. He says that he is the inspiration for the sayings of Paul that have to do with love and truth, along with Venus and Gabriel. I mean, I'm not saying everything, but a lot of it, he said, was inspiration of him as Paul. And actually what he did is he gave Michael and I a uh, mission, we were to read, reread, because of course we've read the Bible a lot of times, but of we were to um, reread Corinthians and some of these um, verses and, and letters to the churches. And then he says, if there are questions you have, come back to me and we will talk about them. Now, I remember you talked to me about Paul talking to the unknown God. Yes, one it's, time. It's, uh, it's translated unknown God. Uh, but it's actually unacknowledged, I think, would be a more di- direct translation of it. You know, the the, the God that is uh, not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. 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 What what do you think that that uh, uh, meant? I mean, uh, it just seemed strange, and it still seems strange to me, and I haven't talked to him about it. Well, to my best understanding, uh, the Greeks at the time, uh, recognized the fact that they didn't know all of the invisibles. I that some of the invisibles were known through the old tales, through the uh, 
uh, revelations that they'd given, but that there were other presences that uh, they, they did not know. So mm-hmm. they didn't want to leave anybody out when they were oh. being thankful. <laughs> uh-huh. So they had a, uh, a monument to the unacknowledged uh, God. So uh, Paul uh, took that and uh, introduced uh, um, his spirituality to the Athenians um, by saying that uh, Jesus was the, the Christ actually was the unacknowledged uh, God. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, you know, it it probably is true because, you know, you talk about gods that we don't know about. Um, you talk about Poseidon here, Neptune. Uh, they're saying that there um, are 611,121 union of days assigned to wow. Nebadon in the local universe. 611,000. Now, Poseidon or Neptune is one of those union of days, but there are 611,000 of them assigned so, to... So um, there's plenty we don't, we don't know. So what you're saying really makes sense, because if our Neptune is only one of those 6,000 just in our uh, local universe, you know, and there's mm-hmm. so many local universes, you know, uh, then, of course, I mean, so maybe this behooves us to remember that. There are so many unknown gods and so many helpers that we don't know. And uh, and that's a very good idea, then, to pray to them, isn't it, you know? When I, because uh, I do, uh, I express my gratitude as often as I can. Uh, sometimes I'll have a sense of uh, who sent uh uh, the insight or the assistance or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I received that I'm thankful for. But sometimes I don't know. So I'll just say, whoever sent that, you know, thanks. So, well, you know, I, I do too. Thing. Yeah, uh-huh. I do too because I don't always know either. Um, mm-hmm. I know I was uh, talking to someone the other day and I said, well, you know, um, may I ask who you are? You know, and she said, well, I am your mind. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, I thought I was my mind, and I thought I was talking to you through my mind, <laughs> my mind body. And she said, well, um, you're talking to me through your emotional body right now. And I said, oh, <laughs> I didn't really know that. <laughs> and then I said, well, do you, do you really have a body? And she said, no. She said she was a spirit. Mm-hmm. She was a mind spirit. So, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm just I'm just a novice at this and I'm just learning and I'm just um, you know, instead of I I have, I do read, but I'm just learning from them, you know. <laughs> so I don't as, know. As it is with all of us and always. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they incarnate amongst us uh, too, the old uh, tales uh, tell us. Uh sometimes fully and sometimes uh, they'll appear as uh, people. And in mm-hmm. a lot of uh uh, Greek uh, culture, hospitality is very powerful uh, because there are stories that the stranger might be uh, a god or a goddess in disguise. Oh, my goodness. And the Greeks sure. were charged with uh, maintaining the hospitality laws. Uh, so mm-hmm. even though many Greeks that are in modern times don't believe in the uh, ancient Olympians anymore, uh, the hospitality law stands, and they, they do take very good care of strangers. Oh, very interesting. You know, it used to be, too, that um, I read where 
a lot of young ladies were deceived because um, some people would say they were gods and and they weren't. And at that time, you know, there was um, the uh, message that uh, the people wanted to produce a god, you know, and believed in gods, you know. And uh, so, yes, I think there's a whole different um, feeling of the gods than today. We don't. We don't uh, look at people as, oh, maybe they're a god, you know. <laughs> and in uh, the old tales, too, a god could be somebody you know uh-huh. who wasn't always a god, but sometimes uh, they're a god. Because, uh, um, like, for instance, the word mentor. Yes, the mentor. That we uh-huh. use. Uh, yes. That was the name of a friend of Odysseus who gave. Uh, um, Odysseus' son, good advice uh, when mm-hmm. he uh, was, you know, past his teen and becoming an adult. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's where we get the word uh, mentor from because Athena used to speak through him. Oh. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I, I'm having a great time that I'm looking at the clock, Diane. Of and course, of course. And Nick is of back course. there with us. Uh-huh. Um, Thank you so very much. This was a great uh, conversation, and the time passed very quickly. Can you please share before you go uh, your YouTube channel so that folks can oh. uh, tune in and learn more about you? Well, how kind of you. Thank you, Hercules. I loved talking about Neptune and Diana. Thank you so much for asking me. Our uh, YouTube channel is very simple. It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and A-N-D. Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, Duncan, (laughs) D-U-N-K-I-N, Michael and Diane Duncan, just like the Duncan Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a link to your your YouTube channel in the description for today's program for those of us who are joining us through uh, Facebook. Um, thank you very much. Give my love to Michael and the entire family. Um, happy belated birthday and happy new year. May 2020 bring all good things. Oh, well, thank you. And the very same to you. And I'm sure after this week, Michael will have a regular schedule. But thank you for inviting me. <laughs> when he can, he will. And uh, just tell him he's missed. Oh, I will. Thank you. Uh, God bless and happy new year. And you as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to play a quick song called Lunasa okay. by Dave the Bard, and then we'll be back with Nick Curdo, who's having a double <laughs> feature today. And his show is The Real News Revealed, and his guest, Michael Wink. Oh, thank you. Be well, Dan.
Me too. And uh, she was uh, giving information that was uh, peer-reviewed, so it's the highest quality information uh, for folks to look into. It wasn't just rumors and innuendo and suppositions. It was uh, 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 information that was checked uh, by experts. Exactly. I love that. And uh, uh, i got to say that we have at uh, Disclosure Network New York amazing researchers. Uh, truly, I am humbled by the layers of research that they do, and they present that at the meetings. Uh, usually, one person will be asked to do a, uh, a talk, as you know. Uh, you, you've mm-hmm. certainly done your share of that already. And then, and then they do a Q&A, and so it gives them an opportunity to really home in on a particular subject. Yes, and I'm greatly honored to have been there, to have spoken. It's a wonderful bunch of people, and uh, uh, they're incredibly awesome, and uh, we're blessed by having them on your shows. Oh, boy, and that's that's such a stepping stone, too, uh, to have these people who really deserve to have a wider audience, uh, uh, considering what they've come up with on, on research and verified facts. So it just really works out, and these uh, I so enjoy uh uh, doing these podcasts with members of Disclosure Network New York. Uh, just uh, just to let the, the, the audience know that they don't know about this, just quickly, it's a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year, providing two meetings per month throughout the year in Manhattan, and we focus on UFO, ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, and a great many news articles uh, that we address and go deep into the research to find out what's true and what's not. And so Real News Revealed is exactly that. Uh, We have some of the most amazing research-oriented members of our group, and a lot of them will be guests on on the uh, Real News Revealed, as well as Disclosure Network New York. So all that is going on. And uh, our website, just to have it, is dnny.info. And on that website, you'll find out what we're doing uh, for the meetings. We have two meetings a month. Uh, in the West Village of Manhattan, and uh, the details of those meetings is all on there at dnny.info, and it also gives you a very specific way to make a reservation, and you please do follow that exactly, because we will give you a confirmation once you do that. It asks for your name, your phone number, and your email, and that's the way we we track uh, the uh, audience, uh, and and we do that to give them an opportunity to also get other information that we do. So that, that's just very important. Um, now, my guest, uh, featured guest tonight, I am so looking forward to having him on this podcast, Michael Winks. Now, Michael, are you there? Hi. How you doing, Nick? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And Michael, I really have been looking forward uh, to to this segment with you. Uh, you are indeed an amazing research researcher, and you've posted so many great articles to your friends uh, and colleagues. And then I, a lot of times, will uh, take those that research and post it for the members of uh, the uh, Disclosure Network New York that numbers over 400 uh, worldwide. And I just thank you in advance for doing the research and sharing that with us. Uh, now, just a couple of brief things uh, very quickly here. Uh, Michael has been involved in research for some time. He, uh, uh, his more intense studies began uh, with 9-11, of course, and uh, peak oil, uh, where he credits the late uh, Michael Rupert 
for having stimulated his curiosity, uh, he became aware of the issues of interdimensional beings around the end of the Mayan calendar. Uh, he worked for many years in the print media on um, what is abrupt, uh, aptly called the fake news by the president. I love that, Michael. Uh, he he uh, recommends uh, thinking outside the box on most issues as uh, they come up as nothing of what it seems. And boy, that's an understatement. And Michael has quoted us saying, thanks to Disclosure Network New York for talking about what matters. And Michael, thank you for saying that. We certainly do that. And before we get into your subjects, just very quickly, I want to get a little bit of background, uh, personal background. May I ask first, please, uh, where were you born? New York City, as were my t uh, two sisters and brother. Okay, so you're from a big family, and what was your mom and dad like? Were they interested in any of these subjects, or not at all? Oh, my goodness, no. No, no, <laughs> okay. Uh, very, okay. very intelligent, uh, very uh, um, learned. My father wanted to be a novelist, and my mother was a homemaker until she became a teacher, then a lawyer, then a social worker. Very interesting stuff, and... Um, uh, as any of your siblings, uh, the brothers and sisters, were they ever involved in any of this research? Did they ever go into this area that you are so much involved with? Well, we'll be getting into that a little later about how uh, one gets ostracized as a family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we can't wait for that segment. Uh, wow. Okay. Now, um, last last uh, question here is just briefly your schooling and the studying. I studied uh, English in uh, English literature. Mostly it was uh, Shakespeare and creative writing at UC Berkeley. And then uh, later I was a master's in fine arts and playwriting at Carnegie Mellon. Excellent. Excellent background there. Uh, I can see how that worked uh, in your favor. Okay, let's get right to it. You've got some amazing subjects you want to address. And we have about... 35 minutes, so uh, this is going to go very quickly, Michael, as you know, and what we can't fit into this program, we'll do a part two, so not to worry. So where should we start? Well, how would you like to start this? Well, yeah, I, actually, I, I'm going to go in reverse of what I sent you. I'm going to talk about my, my uh, uh, six-month stay in Colorado. Um, Fantastic. Please go ahead. Colorado, Colorado uh, was uh, the, the home. Uh, I heard something about, was it rumors and innuendo? Well, <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to go a little bit into that because uh, uh, the, the master of uh, uh, conspiracy knowledge and uh, all sorts of things was the fellow who invited me out to Colorado. I'll just call him MK for the moment. Uh, he's okay. a fascinating fellow. I'll, I'll give you a little background on him. Uh, he said that uh, he was uh, – I remember telling me he was a uh, family. He was thrown out of the house at 14. His mom just said, go, 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 go fix your own life. Um, wow. He said he, he had, went under, underwent mind control uh, through the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, Disney was very involved in all that kind of thing. Uh, and he was, eventually, he was eventually pulled into the nucleus of uh, the Hells Angels, the mob, and the CIA. And he oh, my worked. God. That's a story unto itself. That's a movie, my friend. Yes, and had relationships with the gangs and the mobs. And he actually grew up around Compton in Southern California. And I, I don't know how much your, your uh, uh, audience here is familiar with Compton. Compton is today or has for many years been traditionally an African-American community and is also the home of gangs, specifically the Bloods and the Crips and so forth that you may have heard of. Well, my uh, M.K., I happened to grow up with those people. Uh, they knew him. 
You know, this is, by the way, he's a, a, a MK is a redheaded Irishman. <laughs> and, uh, okay. But they go back into that neighborhood and they go, oh, hey, buddy, how you doing? Good to see you again, and that kind of thing. And there was no problem. And it's like, yeah, we grew up together. What's the big deal? They knew exactly what he was about. They, wasn't, they weren't suspicious of him at all. Although, given that he was connected to the Hells Angels and the mob and the CIA, he was able to have these relationships that, um, shall we say, were helpful in his dealings. Mm-hmm. He talked about okay. how about how uh, if he didn't commit four felonies every morning, it wasn't a typical day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he said he, he, you know, he introduced drugs into the hippie culture with the rest of the CIA. It was all an experiment, you know, Timothy Leary and all that stuff. He said he knew Timothy Leary. He, uh, I, since I grew up, this thing I didn't say in my bio, is I, I spent 20 years in the San Francisco Bay Area. I grew up pretty much there. He knew a lot of the people from that my era when I was growing up. I said, oh, do you know about this town? Oh, yeah, yeah. And what about this? Oh, yeah. He knew all the, the key families. Uh, there is a document online called the Gemstone Files. Um, people might want to just Google Well, Google, I hate to say search for it. And find out about the okay. Gemstone Files. They are the, – the, the actual files are there. They're very long and tedious, but – People have done summaries whereby instead of having to read 75 pages, some of which goes on too long, you can get about 12, 15 pages. And essentially he talks a lot about what was going on in the 60s and the 70s and uh, a lot about the Kennedys, a lot about uh, um, Aristotle Onassis, who was mm-hmm. one of the most powerful men in the world uh, yes. back in the 50s. In the 1950s it was known that uh, he said uh, – when both Nixon and Kennedy were running for president, he said, well, I don't care who wins. I own both of them. Oh. Hey, <laughs> Joe Kennedy it's, came. It's, it's a win-win. Either way, it's a win-win. Either way, he wins. That's right. But Joe Kennedy came to him and said, I want my son to be president. And I've been talking about it. Well, the one I wanted died in World War II. You know that. Kennedy's older brother died in World War II. But uh, here's yep. John. So we would like him to be the president. And NASA said, all right, let's fix that up. So uh, they had the election, and you know, Nassus won because either way he won. And then JFK started doing the stuff he did. But Onassis looked after JFK, and here's the thing that nobody knows or believes, and this is what MK told me. John, JFK knew. He faked his death. That was a double that day on November 23rd. He insists that what? JFK got away and was taken to guess where? a small Greek island under the protection of one of the richest and most powerful men, Aristotle Onassis. Remember also that the Kennedys are an Illuminati family. So they have access to things we don't. And so he was there until he died. Not that long afterwards, he had Addison's, a lot of problems. And I I said, well, you know, I've never heard anything. Then suddenly I saw somebody post something saying, there's this woman who promised her best friend, she said, you're the only one I will ever tell. But I nursed that man for three years in a small island in off of Greece. And I'm like, okay, that's a second confirmation of some kind. <laughs> wow. Well, that that is certainly that is food for thought. Absolutely food that's for thought. Amazing. He also talked a lot. He, if you go to the files, there's a lot of other stuff about Chappaquiddick and about Ralph Dater and a whole lot of things that were going on. And, and Alioto, who was a mayor who was going to be Humphrey's vice president, but because of the mob problems and he was deep into the mob. They decide not to go that direction. Anyway, uh, so anyway, my, my uh, uh, MK said one day he walked into the Hell's Angels West Coast uh, ca- chapter and said, "I quit." 
<laughs> he'd been working there for a good 25 years. And they looked at him like, well, are you kidding me? And he said, well, I said why? And he said, well, I got a conscience. And he walked wow. out of there and never looked back. And never really went into legitimate business, got married, raised a family, you know, got really been into the car business. And then after he'd made about a million dollars, he said, I don't like this life. So he pretty much burned a whole lot of his goods, gave away his money, took a couple thousand dollars on a dog and a truck and drove off and wandered around and sort of ended up on this farm. And he's still wandering even today. <laughs> so that was how really, I got to that. Really, that's quite a story. That is quite a story. Yes, and then when I got there, there were two other people there who are, um, should we say, disclosure types who were working. I'll call, okay. them, call them Max and Maggie. Max is from Arizona. He spent some time in China doing tech work, info tech work. But uh, uh, essentially there was NSA stuff involved with him. Uh, and he, he came back. He was almost killed in a motorcycle wreck there, so he's, he walks around with a lot of pain issues. Uh, he believed a pole ship was coming any day, so that we, Colorado is going to be the place to be, as they say. Uh, it's kind of not on any coast, and it's protected. And if you're, you're going to have, have uh, your coastlines all go up in, in uh, <laughs> the tsunamis and so forth, you'll want to be somewhere in the center. Um, most recently, uh, I, I've been, I'm in touch still, of course, with, these, with a lot of these, these people, and uh, Max said that uh, took pictures of entities he had staring in his windows. I mean, these are alien-looking faces. They were scary. Uh, I, he took pictures, and he was like, can't you see them? And I, I could see them, yeah. I would think anybody could see them. And he, he took off. He's gone. And I've, just, I've been in touch with him. He says he's not there anymore because they just scooped, spooked him. <laughs> But Whoa. he's had a lot of experience. He's a, uh, sort of a super soldier. He says he knows he's had a lot of dreams and a lot of recollections. And people, he even had somebody come up to him and said, dude, I think I remember you in a Nazi uniform. He looks at him like, oh, jeez. <laughs> because, what? as you know, there is a really? dark Waffen, Nachtwaffen uh, group that is supposedly uh, a Nazi connected to space programs. And uh, he's worried that he may indeed have been part of that, and he just doesn't remember it because a lot of people have their memory erased. So that was that was uh-huh. another. <laughs> so, see, I, I had a whole ET thing going for me when I was there, and then uh, another woman had been uh, the other woman who worked with me had been targeted where she was from in Salt Lake City, where there's a whole lot of Mormon nonsense going on. And uh, I'll just uh, sum it up to say that she was targeted. She also had a car wreck, smashed her face into the windshield, and she had to have a whole lot of painkilling, and she was on painkillers for years and got off of them finally. And uh, so she was very, very interesting bunch of people, very nice people. I really enjoyed it. But let's get to Colorado, okay? I, I want to get moving here. Colorado, okay. yes, UFOs, you know, star beings, you know. And, you know, I don't know if you've been seeing recently, you've been talking about these drones lately. There have been these articles about drones over Colorado, I think Nebraska, and everybody is seeing them. The military is seeing them. Police are seeing them, people are seeing them, and they're asking, so what are they? And everybody's going, well, there is nobody who can identify them. They say, every night we see these hordes of drones that are bigger than these toy things just bunched together flying through the air. And it would make sense. Well, I've been just reading about that, and it's, it's yep. amazing that that's going on and on such yeah. a level, too. Was it 40 of them at one point were spotted? Yeah, just all over the place. Um, so yeah. here we were. We're, we're, we're near NORAD, we're near an Air Force base, we're near Colorado Springs, where, you know, Air Force Academy is. Uh, 
lots of lights in the sky. You can go outside every night and go find something. You look up the sky and go, oh, I'm sorry, not a star. Sorry, not a plane. No. <laughs> That's something watching over us. Or you'd see something blinking in the back there and say, is that just a star blinking? No, well, it's pretty low on the horizon. In fact, it looks like it's, you know, oh, okay, it just switched lights with another light. You start seeing a whole lot of activity out there. And you also saw two suns. Now, that was really interesting where you could go look at the west of the sun setting in the west and saying, well, well wait a minute. Well, if the sun is setting in the west, why am I looking to the north and seeing sun? And then looking in the northeast and seeing sun, how can you have the sun setting there? there? And I've seen multiple pictures people have taken. Two round balls in the sky. That's our suns. And you're like, whoa, that's pretty wild. How about that? So that, that's, that's another thing I'm starting to see. Uh, I recommend highly, since we're, we're talking about I'm going to finish off this little section. That everybody go to eseti.org, uh, uh, E-C-E-T-I. That's uh, James Gilliland's. Uh, he just filmed 31 ships flying through his sky. He's used to seeing them, but he said 31 at one time. It was pretty impressive for, even for him. And also, if anybody ha- uh, would like to look at a YouTube uh, channel, Gina Maria Colvin Hill. Whoa. She's got some YouTubes that are insane. Just ships coming out of the sun. You know, hundreds, hundreds. It's like, boop, 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 boop. You're like, whoa. I mean, it makes the sky look like highways. I remember William Tompkins remarking and saying, you know, they all wear cloaking devices, and up there it's kind of a traffic jam, and you just don't know it. <laughs> they have to make sure the airplanes don't hit them. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking to a, uh, a helicopter pilot in New Jersey, and he was saying exactly that—that that he was so alarmed because they're not re- the pilots aren't reporting uh, UFOs because they know that it will be the end of their career. And yet, if you don't know what's in the sky, you might run into it, or it might run into you. So it's a, it's a real issue. Yes, exactly. So that's that's the that's the story from Colorado. Uh, uh, I just got to say the the people I was with, and I did go to a Star Nation conference where the uh, uh, a meeting where the uh, uh, native Native Americans uh, talk about their experiences with star people, and uh, we did meditations and prayers and heard heard about that. Uh, that's something that is that, Matt, the, is that the uh, Michael is that the Four Corners in, in that area. Uh, Four Corners is an area, but actually the meeting was up by uh, Boulder, uh, way up in the mountains. It was this beautiful place. Oh, there. okay, okay, all right. But, uh, yeah. but no, we weren't too far from there. We were uh, uh, the, the farm I was in was in the south, uh, and he- heading towards New Mexico, but not there. So still, still pretty much uh, about 20, 20 miles from Pueblo. Uh, okay. So anyway, I, I want to move on to my, 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 my more of my su- subjects here. I was going to talk a little. I was going to talk a little about Corey Good and uh, his latest update. I know you sent it out yesterday. Um, I, I want to preface it with the, the little anecdote that David Wilcock had in his Edge of Wonder interview, uh, which didn't have anything particularly new. But he mentioned this documentary that maybe people haven't heard about called Cold Case Hammerschuld. Did you hear about it, Nick? No, no, I haven't. Tell me. The documentary is called Cold Case Hammerskold. Now, you remember who Hammerskold is. You're old enough. Dog Hammerskold, UN ambassador, UN head, chief, killed in 1961 in a plane crash. United Nations. Uh, even I had heard that. I remember that, even though I was pretty young. Uh, so Dog Hammerskold crashed. These documentarians from Denmark and wherever said, we're going to check this out and find out what happened. Big shock. His plane was shot down. By whom? Well, 
South African white supremacist groups didn't like where he was going with black Africans and so forth. And they were, of course, backed by uh, various intelligence agencies in America and Britain. Mm. But mm-hmm. uh, David Wilcox said, yeah, but that's not the real shocker. The shocker was oh. that somebody came on onto the documentary and talking about and saying, well, you know, there was this plan going on at that same time in which vaccines were being given to Africans, black Africans, with the AIDS virus in it, so it would kill them because the idea was to completely eliminate black people. Mm-hmm. Well, like, what? <laughs> that just kind of comes out. And then at the end of the documentary, uh, it says, so-and-so, so-and-so, who was interviewed on this matter, is now in hiding. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll bet. Now in hiding. I wonder why. Oh, brother. Yeah. So anyway, that, I, I wanted to bring that bring up that that little prelude because so in any case, uh, you know, Corey has said in his particular report, he says mass arrests, yes, but not till spring 2020. There's a whole lot of setting up to do. He says the problem with arresting is that everybody would have to arrest themselves. Everyone is so incredibly dirty. It's so bad. It's just you know it, it all has to be. There has to be a whole lot of people available to do the arresting because right now. All those who are arresting should be arrested themselves. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. And pretty much everybody, everybody I talk to is you know, from various political spectrums who are in touch with this whole scenario is saying, yes, there are going to be arrests. Yes, there are going to be arrests. It is happening. You know, people at the farm, all the people I just mentioned, saying, yes, there is going to happen. I'm hearing a lot from the circles of Pleiadians, you know, Pleiadians saying that 2020 is going to be a big year. And, of course, we know about all the drip-drip technology stuff that's coming out, free devices. You're seeing more XR4B anti-gravity ships, like the one I sent you recently that was over in New York City, right, right Nick? <laughs> Just recently? Yes. And then, yes, uh, unbelievable. There's yep. going to be more of it. As we're saying, they're, they're saying is there's going to be more of that. We need to prepare people. And, and you know, I, I, I've been around this. I'm, I'm staying sober, and there's cable TV, and I switch it on all the time. My God, the amount of TV shows and movies that are all sci-fi, soft disclosure stuff is just massive, massive. It's yes, the it stuff is. we're buying. That's the stuff that we're going to. It's the stuff that just keeps getting made over and over again. It's like every single show and every single program. It's like I would say of all the new movies, it feels like you know, other than, you know, even of course, even Avengers movies have to some degree their little sci-fi in them as well. Point. That's right. We all have super, superpowers and all that. So, but we're just seeing so much of this, this soft disclosure coming out, and, and it's just it's fascinating. Um, it's, it's major. Absolutely, what you're saying is right. It's major, and it's it's going to continue, and it's going to intensify absolutely in 2020. So, uh, get your safety belts ready because there's a lot of roller coaster coming. A lot. Right. All right. I'm going to get kind of moving along. So the, the stuff I really want to talk about is, is at the end the whole thing about the ostracization and so forth. And so speaking of ostracization, I want to talk about uh, our president. <laughs> because uh, before before you start on that journey, we have eight more minutes left. So I just want to let you know. Eight. Oh, thank you very much, Jorge. Okay, eight minutes, and, this, and the last so one will be. This will have to be a part two. <laughs> so I'll have to I didn't want you in the middle of a story and then cut you off. Uh, now, Michael uh, has already been asked to come back for part two, absolutely. So go ahead, Michael, awesome. please. So anyway, it's, it's just, yeah. Um, so obviously I was just talking about our president. He tends to evoke pretty much 100% negative reactions. And, of course, a lot of that is media-driven because, you know, the media is, you know, 
sees that as the way of getting a lot of viewers. It's increased the interest in and things and and uh, and so. I'm also seeing some people in the disclosure movement and they ignore mass media and they're they're still that way. They still feel 100% negative, 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 negative. It's really not fair to be one. No one can be 100% negative as actions, but it's particularly bad for all those of us in New York City because we remember him. We remember him from the tabloid stories. Remember him from Marla Maples and whoever, and being a reality. Yep. Star, and it just kind of you know turns our stomach. We kind of go, ah, this is really the guy who's our president, and so forth. And the rest of the country really doesn't quite quite have that same picture because they don't. I mean, they kind of remember the TV show, but they and they know he's a big big muckety muck, but they don't remember the way New Yorkers do. And so, but what I would say is we're not really looking at him for his actions. We're looking at the personality too much. There's too much of a a, a personality cult thing going on with that, and. Uh, well, that's an understatement, absolutely understatement, yep. A lot of people saw through Obama, uh, but so many still just get ghoulized over his personality when he was carrying out a lot of destructive policies. And we're not seeing, you know, we're, we're just sort of seeing this, this uh, PR thing. And I should know something about PR, by the way. Public relations happened to be my father's business. Uh, my father... Uh, uh, also was for 25-plus years a member of the Bohemian Club and went to the Bohemian Grove every summer. So that's oh, really? Oh, brother. Wow. Conspiracy tidbit for everybody. Um, he, he doesn't seem to be very tied into anything earlier than uh, putting on shows in, in the drag and, and getting drunk, So, which is what a lot of people did up there. <laughs> so, um, Fun times, good times, good times. Right, exactly. But in any case, uh, I guess what I'd say is uh, it, it's getting back to Trump, you know, Steve Pachinik, you know, people that follow him, he's been, you know, kind of the inspiration for Tom Clancy. He's an older uh, CIA guy who's been around since, you know, Vietnam and before that, in a whole lot of places, and has a new book out. Um, he gets interviewed occasionally by Alex Jones and so forth. Uh, but he just says, well, look, you know, Donald Trump built two skating rinks in New York City for kids. He just did it just because. And he says, yeah, I think that says a lot about Trump. And he just do it. And that was it. You know, it wasn't sort of for any personal you know, payback or whatever. So it's a nice thing to do. And so that's kind of what I'm hearing. What I've also heard is that uh, by some who actually have met him, they say, well, actually, he's kind of a nice guy. You know, guy. We don't see that at all. He's always defending himself. He's always poking fun and getting mad and, and so forth. We just see kind of public image of this guy who's been well, constantly under attack and, and uh, in some cases maybe even uh, assassination attempts and so forth. So you know, he goes through his share of strains. And uh, I, I would say that uh, everybody better get used to him a little more because he, he, he's – my belief is he's going to be back. I think he will be reselected. You notice I said reselected. Remember that mm -hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt said – Presidents are not elected, they're selected. And uh, if you go back to the years and say, who was the candidate opposite? Oh, no, no, they wouldn't have selected him. Or, oh, no, no, they couldn't have selected him. And they just decided, you know, well, this is who we're going to select this time. And it's more and more about selection. And also in this case, the military is not going to allow him to leave until he's finished the job that he was selected to do. And, you know, it's like we never really, we also tend to think, well, what is the obsession with him? It kind of overstates his power. How much power does the president really have? I mean, Congress is supposed to have some, say, some power, and all they're doing is uh, doing this impeachment fuss and handing – all that does is hand him more campaign donations and poll, higher poll ratings. 
Okay. And, yep, and on yep, that note, we that's only have uh, around three and a half minutes, so uh, oh, if you can okay. kindly provide us while we're waiting anxiously for part two, because you're very entertaining and very informative. Yeah. Uh, if you could share your contact information, that would be awesome. Michael, okay. do you want to give out your email address in case anybody wants to contact you? If they'd like to write to me, sure. I'm at uh, Michael L. Winks. Uh, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L. Double L Winks W I N K S at Gmail dot com if they like to write, um, and uh, uh, I was gonna, we'll talk more about the uh, uh, issue of um, you know being ostracized. Uh, Trump, Trump was a good way of uh, segueing into the whole thing about you know those of us who believe in uh, aliens and you know <laughs> bases on Mars and the Moon and and also and for all sorts of things. Are of course look well. Scant. What we'll do is uh, for the part two, we'll we'll start with that for that particular uh, area because that's a fascinating area. Now, if oh, yeah. you want to get me, it's Nick N Y N Y one at gmail dot com, and the Disclosure Network uh, website is uh, dnny.info, dot info, and that will give you our meetings and when it's going to be and what the subject matter is. We do have a meeting this coming Sunday at two o'clock or four o'clock in the West Village. And all that information for the meeting is going to be on the website. So please take a look. Uh, uh, awesome. Usually, you allow you allow somebody a send a, a send off statement. Are you going to allow me a send off statement? Which I was I was going to read something real brief. Uh, you, you, wait, wait, I don't think we have the time. Do we have the time? Uh, we, if, it, if it's a brief uh, send off statement, yes, there's time for it. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Michael. Quick. This was on <laughs> this was on a, a group Facebook comment called 2020. This is a time that is long awaited by the family of light. A golden gateway is now being opened, which is allowing higher frequencies to be embodied in our avatars. 5D is here for those who choose to participate in this vast consciousness shift. For those who resist and hold on to the old paradigm, refuse to embody heart coherence and distrust their intuitive guidance systems, the following years are going to be extremely difficult and will experience great entropy. But this shift is inevitable we are multi-dimensional beings, and the higher frequencies of New Earth are already here. All you have to do is align with unconditional love. Thank you. Wow. Love that. Michael, thank you for that. Awesome. Now, this is uh, Real News Revealed, wishing you all an enlightened journey as you connect the dots to seek the truth. Till next time, keep informed, stay safe, and be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. And goodbye for now, and thank you very much, Nick. Uh, congratulations on your double feature and to many more shows. Uh, everyone, this is us wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.